This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Galaxies we hear, so down I can see your so, so, All right, hi everybody. So Welcome back to Tell Me This. I'm Brianne Roos here with Carrie Borkowski. And to anybody new to the pod, this is a podcast all about things belonging, community, connections, collaboration, and holding space for what is possible. Over the life of this podcast, we've explored research and scholarship on or related to belonging. We've shared stories, listened and engaged with diverse individuals about belonging during the pandemic as well as as parents, leaders, and human beings who show up for all the things. This season, we're journeying into belonging in our relationships with friends, spouses, coworkers, neighbors, really on all levels. And today, we're super excited to have the band back together, our Yay! four learning educators. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll go ahead and introduce Dr. Kristen Barber, who, to any longtime listeners, you'll be familiar with both of our guests today. But just to give the formal bio, Dr. Kristen Barbo, Barber is the Executive Director for the National Institute for Learning Development. She brings extensive experience on topics related to learning disabilities, dyslexia, and developing students' thinking and abilities. Kristen completed her EDD at Johns Hopkins, and her research focused on developing educational therapists' knowledge, beliefs, and practice related to developing a growth mindset in students with learning disabilities. So welcome back. Gosh, it, it feels good to be back. It's been way too long. Way too long. Absolutely. And Dr. Paula Clark is also with us. So Paula, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So Paula is a career K-12 educator. She teaches high school mathematics in a suburban public school district in Northeast Ohio. As an educator, Paula is passionate about creating authentic conceptual-based learning experiences for her students. And as a learner, she believes strongly in the relationship between continuous educator development and student learning. And Paula also received her EDD at Johns Hopkins. And I think that is where Paula and Kristen became good friends. And we all we all met. Paula, I still remember um, a sync session. And and you it's so funny now that we've talked you into being on the pod, because what I remember about you initially was that you were just a quiet soul like a quiet soul. Don't ever mistake that for her not paying attention though, because she would drop a wise, awesome comment just when it was appropriate. So I, that, yes. I still remember that Paula. So it's so, so funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember too. And I felt like just in context of what we're talking about today, you know, I questioned my belonging there for mm -hmm. so long, not because of what the professors or my classmates did, but just, you know, my own perspective. Um, and so as I'm learning that I belong in spaces, I'll get a little more vocal, but I like to listen. Yeah, absolutely. And you are a good listener at that. So your students and your friends and colleagues are super lucky to have you in their in their orbit. So, so dear pod audience, what are we doing today? So we are still going to talk about belonging. And Brianne and I have been, and you know, because if you've been listening, we're so curious about the language of belonging. And I feel like we try in these episodes to bring back um, different ways that people have articulated this idea of belonging. And it feels very appropriate, Brianne, I hadn't thought of this, but it feels very appropriate to be bringing both Paula and Kristen back um, to talk about this um, partly, obviously, we just wanted a, a really good excuse to get us all together. The other reason, though, is I spent some time last night preparing for the pod and went back through seasons two through four and tried to grab different terminology. And wouldn't you know it, Kristen and Paula both described belonging as dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really fun. And I, and I do think, honestly, 
Brianna, I won't speak for you, but I'll say I do think that when both of you unlocked that idea of belonging as dynamic, it really was an an unlocking for me because as an educator for so long, I was, you know, committed to engaged online communities, building community, building connections. And I was so focused on strategies. What are the techniques? What are the strategies? I've done it. It's done. It's here. Check. And Mm. I'm so, part of me is a little embarrassed to admit that. Um, And then when you said dynamic, it's like, well, wait a second. It's changing. It's moving. And so this episode today I think we're going to explore this language of belonging. I mean, from season two, Kristen, you admitted that before the pandemic, you said you would have called it static participation and that you said during the pandemic and you, Paula, also said it feels dynamic that I'm having to move and change as things occur. And obviously we were in a pandemic, so that was really right and adapt. We're calling for adaptations as we move through the pod people, you know, said things like um, constantly being revised. Um, Jessica talked about um, belonging to yourself, that 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 is important first. Um, Other people talked about, you know, being a part of a team. Um, Kanita Williams talks about a posture of belonging. Um, I don't know. Christine Darkole talked about belonging through transparency and employing and talking about living with curiosity instead of judgment. And this season, mind blown. (laughs) I need a, I need like a, a a track with sounds because I don't do them very well, but like this season we are diving deeply into belonging in relationships and gosh, Brian, I can't, I didn't count. But I feel like every time we talk to somebody else, a new word enters our belonging vocabulary. We've had people talk about um, the five senses of belonging. Mariana talked about that. Um, Dr. Jill Snodgrass talked about radical acceptance. We had a musician talk about the resonance of belonging, right? This gut feeling. Um, Just recently, we had... um, Taylor um, Gonzalez on, and she talked about the ease that she feels of being in a space. And so we played with those words of the ease of discomfort, right? Like that, that paradox. Um, and the other one that came up and I, I had forgotten about it for a moment, Brianne, but then I remembered. So we had two academics from Loyola and Hopkins who work with um, refugees coming to America And um, the medical doctor, Nick, um, talked about belonging as a force multiplier, Mm. right? This idea that like when you do this in different spaces and then because these these folks that are immigrating from these war torn countries are having to to negotiate different spaces. And if you create this sense of belonging in multiple places, he just sees it as this like force multiplier from a collaborative community. So all that is to say, we are here this morning um, to talk about language and and sort of, I don't know, just get, I'm so excited to hear what Kristen and Paula have to say. Um, I feel like I took up a lot of airtime, but I thought it was worth it to sort of do a, a stroll down memory lane to bring in some of those definitions. So um, yeah, so we're going to talk about the language of belonging, and sort of how we do or don't facilitate belonging through language. And and as we've demonstrated, and I think we'll get into today, is language means lots of different things to different people, right, when we talk about it. So with that said, who wants to, who wants to jump right in? <laughs> Any reactions? I mean, why do we, why, I guess I would ask, you know, the curious person in me would say, um, why is it important to have this discussion to begin with? Like what, what's the point, right? Other than us getting together and hopefully entertaining some listeners, like what, what might be an important reason to have this discussion? There's so much there that you went over in, in giving us the highlights of those prior podcasts. And I think, you know, I was approaching this originally from, 
from a mathematics educator and thinking mostly about my students, um, maybe sort of not of myself, but I think it goes back to the idea that it is dynamic, that it does include all of us. So even creating that space in the classroom and it's really interesting that we're coming in at this time because I'm teaching a new class this year that was actually, uh, the curriculum is all created by the state and it is all based on mathematical practices, engaging students, giving them real world examples. And, and really, I don't wanna say I don't teach, but I don't start the lesson with instruction. They start and as their questions bubble up, that sort of directs me. Um, what I'm finding though, is by focusing on those mathematical practices, that's where I'm, having those kids feel like they belong in the classroom. They started off really scared. They didn't want to make mistakes. They didn't feel comfortable with this type of learning. And now that I look back at it in hindsight, those kids are outperforming my honors kids. They're outperforming my AP kids in terms of their involvement in the class, their attendance, um, how they approach math and math for them in a large part. It's, it's students that typically struggle with math um, was something that the door was closed on. You know, they, they, they didn't come in with positive experiences and now, you know, their work is just unparalleled. And, and it's really that engagement, my interest in them, showing them that I, uh, that they belong in the classroom, yes, and that they belong in any mathematics classroom. Um, but it's, it is so dynamic. And I like that idea of the force multiplier. Um, <laughs> just a quick example of that. And, and then I'll let Kristen and, and Brianne talk as well. Um, we were administering the ACT to all of our juniors, and these students in this class were in the ACT room as I was proctoring. They worked the longest and the hardest on that test. And maybe they didn't have all the content knowledge, but they were taught, like, you can do this. Mm -hmm. um, you belong in this space, right? You belong in a math class, and it's not outside of your reach because sometimes math is sort of a gatekeeper for students, and they, mm -hmm. they develop that early on. I'm good at it, I'm not, and forget it, you know? But but they'll try anything. And I think that comes from the atmosphere, from creating that. And a lot of it to introduce a new world word is highly invisible. Like I don't even know what I'm doing that makes them feel like they belong, but they are excited to come here. And that's the first step. Mm. I have to say, I love that just to circle back and then I promise I'll be quiet, ladies. You also said in your episode that students feel welcome and that they have a voice. So I wonder if that's part of what's resonating with them, Paula, is this idea of feeling welcome. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. And I wish, Paula, that my students could be in your math class. So <laughs> with my focus on those, the students who have those learning differences, you know, schools should be a place where all students have the opportunity to become successful independent learners. But often for students with learning differences, they show up to school every day feeling like they don't belong, that they just can't quite participate in the same way as, as those, those quote unquote typical learners. And Paula, the, the type of atmosphere that you're creating, that, that climate of expectations for all learners creates that sense of belonging that I'm here and I can participate in this community. Um, you know, I, I think the concept of belonging isn't just a construct that is mental. I think it's also physical. You know, neuroscientists have shown us that when we perceive um, uh, pain in the brain, it's a particular uh, geographical area in the brain. And they've done research that when we feel like we don't fit in or belong, that same area of the brain that feels physical pain is activated when we don't feel like we belong. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about this, this concept of belonging as, as being something that, that we can create, that's environmental, that sounds very external, but ultimately it's very internal as well, how we perceive it, how we feel it, how we respond to it. And so my, my real heartbeat is for all learners, particularly learners with learning differences, to have this internal and external well-being of belonging. Love I'm that. Just, yeah, I'm but just the pain sitting. part is like, <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like everybody's felt that, but yeah. I really like that you aligned it with the physical pain. Um, Paula, when you were talking, the word that came to mind was trust. And I think it's all these invisible things that you're doing, um, I guess, invisible in some ways, but also not if we think about the words that you use. I mean, that's you can't see it, but you you hear it um, kind of circling back to Mariana's five senses. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. I, I think that you're creating an atmosphere of trust and that takes time and it is dynamic because you have to meet the students where they are on that day and you're trusting them and they're trusting you. I mean, I think you also had to trust them at the beginning to, to participate and to engage since you weren't doing the direct instruction. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and even the first, the first uh, few weeks of the class is just doing that is just getting the kids involved in, you know, trying things out and making mistakes and, you know, getting that tone set. And, and it is, and there's days that I know I use language that, you know, I'm not proud of, and, and it maybe detours students from belonging, but we always try to come back and, and correct that. Um, you know, I feel like just creating, we're, we're learning a lot in our district right now about trauma-informed care and, and that invisible piece of, you don't know what students are coming to your class with. Um, so it's not just the math, you know, and we've talked before about like, you know, there's so much curriculum to get through. Do we just race through the curriculum? But this pays off dividends, right? In building that trust and and just creating that atmosphere where my classroom is not a trigger for students. It's not a trigger for the trauma and they can come here, relax a little bit. And, uh, you know, do I always achieve that? No. Um, but do we strive for that? Sure. Yeah, I'm so so curious about the word, the use of the word invisible, Paula, because I think it speaks to why we're here having this conversation. Um, Cause I feel like it, it's present, right? It's, I, th I think what it's, what's speaking to me in that moment, Paula, is it's just a reminder that we as human beings, and I think it's so interesting that you mentioned it because we started the pod talking about how, what a good listener you are. And I think that like one of our responsibilities, the four of us and beyond is to figure out how to make it visible, how to, how to bring attention. Right. Cause like, as Kristen pointed out neurologically, there's something going on. Right. And we have had many guests talk to us and um, we've had musicians and yoga instructors talk to us about this, like resonance and like intuition. Right. So it might be invisible to the eye, but it is present. And so I think what's hard and what's important sort of for me in the evolution of thinking about belonging is we need these words so that we can attend to the feelings that rep that are represented in these words, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So words are sort of the first, right? The front line, but like there's so much more. It reminded me... Um, in a strange way that um, Becky Kennedy wrote a book called good inside about sort of raising kids and sort of parenting. And she talks about this idea that behavior is just a window, right? That we have to remember that a kid or an adult might show a behavior, but the behavior doesn't always align with what's going on inside. And so similarly, a lot to me, I take that phrase and think a lack of a reaction doesn't mean what you, you know, it doesn't have to mean what you think it means. And so I, I think her phrase to me just reminds me that we always need to be digging deeper, like what's going on really. And so I just, I love that you brought up that word invisible, Paula, because it just, we've got to figure out how to make, I don't know, it's just, it's just hitting me and like, we need to do better than saying it's just invisible because it's, that's not good enough for the mm -hmm. students that are in our classrooms or our mm -hmm. human beings that we're around. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you, is that... I don't know. As I'm, as I'm listening to Carrie and, and thinking about Paula, your, your comment about invisible, it seems to me what's invisible, but what can be labeled is what you're working on is, the, is relationships and mm. relationships are responsive. Relationships are dynamic. Relationships are personal and individual. So, so there isn't, Carrie, to your point, this strategy, this cookie cutter, what do we do to establish <laughs> yeah. belonging? And we've all been there. I mean, I was nodding my head furiously when you were saying, yes, tick the box. We've, we've learned yep. how to create belonging. Mm. But, but I wonder if this, going back to our, our focus of words and language of belonging, if we want to change our relationships, we've got to change our words. And Paula, you gave us a, an excellent vignette of, of a case example of, here's how I'm changing my words. Mm. I'm not instructing. The students are asking questions and it's bubbling up and we're getting to their underlying conceptual knowledge or, or curiosity. And so I, I think that invisibility may be wrapped around relationship building and building harmony in our relationships to create that 
sense of belonging of a safe space to make mistakes, to ask questions, to not feel failure. Um, to me, that feels like where that invisible becomes visible in that harmony and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings me to the idea of mutuality where, you know, to try to share the power in a relationship. So Paula, from day one, from the jump in this class, you gave the students, you know, freedom and voice and space to help create what the class would be in a really real and tangible way. I mean, you just said for the first week, that's what it was. So that's real time. Um, it's not just the first minute of class or whatever. I mean, you really, that was your curricular decision to to do that. And it just reminds me of the importance of always checking in with our students and that they are bringing these invisible things. And the other day, uh, I always start with a question, a check-in question, as I've shared on this before. And yesterday I decided to ask senior students the question, what are the questions that you need to be asked? And they were like, ooh. <laughs> Is that a double negative, Brianne? No, <laughs> but but really it's that I didn't have a question prepared. And I sometimes I read the room and I can get a vibe and I'm like, I don't know, let me just throw it out there. So, and some of them were funny. They're like, I really need someone to ask me if I want to go out to dinner because it's been a while since I've been out on a date. Um, and then other people are saying, I need to be asked, what's the hardest part of this? I need to be asked if I'm prioritizing self-care. And I need to be asked if this is too much. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> that spoke to me um, mm -hmm. and I'm going to use those questions that they gave me. And I shared those questions with colleagues, but it reminded me sort of Paula of what you were doing in a different way of just giving the voice to the students and helping them, trusting them to know that they know their needs and that I can help to meet them in that space so that we can then go to the content. Yeah, I like that. And it's it's interesting because as I was listening to you, especially the question that you said with, what do you need from me? A lot of the resources, and I, I feel like this belonging and this social emotional learning is sort of um, gaining speed and, and trickling out into other avenues because some of the resources we use, especially electronic, um, the first screen on a lot of the activities for the kids is, how are you feeling today? And then there's emojis or smiley faces or mad faces. And and then it says, tell more if you would like. And I, you know, my first reaction is like, delete that screen, just get onto the activity. And then I'm like, no, let's keep adding that screen, start class off that way, because kids actually say a lot then. And then again, you know the tone, you know where they're coming from. You can go over to them during the day and 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 speak to them. Um, but it's happening more and more in a lot of the software that we're using in our school. And I know it's nationwide. Um, Desmos uses it a lot and Pear Deck, and that's their first screen. Tell me how you're feeling, you know, and the kids can be silly or they some of them are very honest you know and and it's it's just touching base with them um my other thought is maybe the word invisible i'm sort of portraying wrong i i feel like to me what struck me as interesting or always strikes me as interesting at the end of the year the english teachers have the seniors write a letter to a teacher and it could be anyone in their k-12 um you know um over the k-12 system and every now and then i'll get a letter that is totally unexpected, like mm -hmm. never would have thought you, you know, who you're making like really good connections with, you know, who says hi to you in the hall, you know, who see, sees you outside of the school and wants to talk to you instead of avoiding you. But it's those rare ones that you're like, oh my gosh. And they, mm -hmm. the kids give all these reasons why they want to say thank you to you or whatever. And it's those ones that are really meaningful because I'm like, I didn't even realize I made that connection with that kid. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what I mean by invisible is like, mm -hmm. you don't always see the impact. Mm -hmm. They don't always share that. They don't always, you know, convey to you that you, that they do belong. You yeah. know, some of them are real vocal about it, but maybe others just keep it to themselves. Yeah, that's, and I want to go on record to say when I mentioned the word invisible, there was no judgment. Like I wasn't, oh, I know. Yeah. I, okay. I just yeah. want to be clear, like there was no judgment there. Um, and I think you're right, Paula. I think you're bringing up one of the challenges that we face as folks who care a lot about belonging is some of the powers that be want to see impact, you know, an hour later, right, in a test score or something. And we know that it takes time. I mean, Kristen, you said relationships and we know that and Brian, you said trust. All of those things take time. I'm thinking about Brene Brown and Brianna, I know you and I have talked about it when she talked to her daughter about 
building trust and she used the metaphor of a marble jar, right? Like it takes time. So like that first day, Paula, you might have dropped a marble into that kid's jar, but like that, that accumulative effect takes time. Um, so I, yeah, I think, um, I think I, I, I love that you shared that. I want to get back to, if we could, you know, I know, and I would defer Kristen, especially to you with your expertise with, um, learning differences. I know we're talking about language and the sort of traditional definition of language is words. And even, I mean, Brian, sorry, I didn't mean to leave you out too, as a speech, a speech person too. Like <laughs> I understand that. And I also understand that, like, I love the next definition of language, according to Webster's.com, is this idea of a system of communication. And so I think that's what's been really resonant for me this year with the pod is to is to remember that music and feeling and pain, like physical pain, is similar to thwarted belonging. And so I'm wondering if the three of you could talk a little bit about language and belonging as a system of communication and sort of, I don't know, just I'll leave it at that. Like, what do you think about that idea and sort of like, what should we be taking away with respect to belonging? Anybody? I don't know, Kristen, I'm looking at you first, just because I know you work with students who have lots of learning differences. So I'm wondering like, I don't know, how does that hit, hit you? Yeah, I mean, you think of all of the opportunities to communicate non-verbally, even in the, the way you position your your mm. desks, tables, chairs in the classroom. Okay, here's the advanced learning group, and here's the slower learning group. And, and just even physically looking at the space around creates blowing. I mean, go back to Rosa Parks. You know, where where did we used to, you know, the African-Americans had to sit in the back of the bus. There, there was no verbal language there. It was just a here you go, back of the bus. Um, so, so when I think of a system of communication, it's those opportunities for appropriate physical touch. It's the, the hand on the shoulder. It's the high five, the fist bump. It's, I see you, mm-hmm. and I'm going to find multiple ways to recognize that I see you by where, come, come sit next to me. Let's, let's just be together in this learning opportunity. And I think in particular for students with learning differences, it's not just academics that we want them to feel that they belong, but we want them to believe that they belong as thinkers in a world and a community of learners. And how do we do that? We create these systems of points of connection. You're here and you're supposed to be here because you're valued and you're important. And whether that's by physical proximity, whether that's by nonverbal, there's lots of different ways to get mm-hmm. that communicated to our, our students who, who maybe are more neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I go back to the textbook definition of communication that I learned a million years ago, which is um, a sender and a receiver and a mutually understood message. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be verbal, you know, so <clears throat> I think it can be physical touch. I think it can be space. Mm-hmm. I think it can be, um, I mean, the idea of proxemics and proximity is huge. So whereas Christmas talking about coming together, I also think there's, there's, you know, distance sometimes that's helpful. My older daughter is a sophomore in high school. She was telling me yesterday, she had a really stressful few days with some doctor's appointments and very big decisions about whether she should run for various student council positions and stuff. And she said she was in Spanish and I just, she goes, I always participate in that class and I just needed to not do that yesterday. And I just Mm -hmm. sat and I looked at my screen and I engaged only to the extent that I had to. And she goes, and my teacher was fine with it. She didn't even say anything. Mm -hmm. That actually is communication. Like she saw that the kid who's normally engaged just needed a day um, and let her have that, that space. So Mm -hmm. I think there's so many ways that we can convey that message that hopefully is mutually understood. And of course, words are a big piece. And we talk a lot about the importance of the words that we use, um, but it's just one piece. Yeah. Paul, I'm wondering as a math person who has an opportunity to work with you know, expressions outside of language. Um, I don't know, what what do you see as opportunities in a math class for for playing with that a little bit? And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious. Yeah, no, in fact, you know, I go back and forth with this a lot. Um, you know, clearly I want the students to feel like accomplished mathematicians and I want to teach them in the correct terminology in the correct way. But sometimes 
sometimes I have to throw them a different version of the word. So, mm -hmm. so even though we want to get there, we might have to start on a lower level. Um, Dr. Carp um, wrote a book, co-authored a book about, it's called The Math Pact, and it's about using correct language because, you know, often kids get turned off when teachers use different language for things and it's not consistent across the K-12 curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I get that. But there's also a time to say, hey, this is like reverse distributive property. There's no such term as that, but kids get it. Mm -hmm. And it makes them feel like, oh, I can do that. Then that's just presented a different way. Is that the correct language? No, it's factoring out the greatest common factor, right? But they get lost in that language. So, so I think it's just this hierarchy talking about a system is like, yeah, we want to get there, but we have to, to Brian's point, get to where they are, right? Where are they today? What do they need to know today? What can I use in terms of that language? And then always equating it to the appropriate language. Um, I think letting them, you know, the mathematical practices are not new, but I think schools are pushing it. That's a newer thing that schools are pushing. And it's really letting them develop the language and the surprise on their face when they use the right term, like in context, and they're like, I knew that, you know, and, and they're not afraid anymore, you know? So, so I, th I think I think it goes back to, you know, knowing where they are, knowing who they are, and and at the right appropriate time, introducing things, scaffolding that instruction, and you know, as as all of you were talking and you're thinking about systems and the verbal and the nonverbal ways, there were two thoughts that came to mind. First of all, way early, like the first first maybe podcast of yours was about leaning in, right? Mm -hmm. And was that a phrase your grandmother used maybe, Carrie? Um, something about leaning in and listening and, and knowing, mm -hmm. you know, showing the kids that you're interested, not half listening, half-hearted listening, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the other one was the idea of smiling. And, and you know, mm -hmm. I think kids know when we have a fake smile versus a really <laughs> genuine smile. And there's, there's an article, oh, way too complex for me, but I ran across it. It was about the pleasure systems in the brain and releasing dopamine. And it was more about, um, more physical, um, mm -hmm. but they were, they went back to talking about babies. And, and when you're feeding mm -hmm. them, if you smile, that contributes to the liking. Oh, I like this. And I, you know, so, so it's just those, those genuine things, that intentionality that we've talked about all throughout podcasts and, mm -hmm. and just knowing where your students are. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. When you were talking about your, your math students and language, I immediately thought of like zone proxal development, right? Mm -hmm. You have to meet them where they are. And I have to say like this idea of correct language, sort of like makes me sit up and rubs me the wrong way a little bit because it feels like there's a system that's decided what's correct, you know, and again, this isn't judgment on you, Paula, I'm just picking up on sort of the system's words. And, and I feel like what should the goal be, right? The goal should be that we have some sort of consistency and clarity in communication. But if, a if my student uses a word that's different than tradition and I still understand them, right? Like, have I reached my goal? So I think it's interesting mm -hmm. to think about like, what is correct and what is actually effective communication, right? right. Um, and that makes me think about, because I know we had talked in sort of the prep time about inclusive and exclusive language and sort of what does that do for our students who are coming from, you know, impoverished areas, rural communities, LGBTQ, um, you know, our, our students of color. I mean, I have plenty of students, lots of students who are intelligent and bright, and maybe they don't know all of the like academic language, but I understand them. I, and to me, like, is that the ultimate goal? Right. So I don't know. It's just, a, and it's tricky. Mm -hmm. And I know Brianne, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on this. Cause I know you and I have talked about, cause you teach similar to Paula, you teach classes like anatomy and tech highly technical where there is language. And so what's the sort of yeah. negotiation I mean, there? I think to me, it's a huge yes. And so it's, yeah, of course, we want to talk in language that students understand so that they fundamentally understand the concepts of anatomy or writing or whatever the topic is. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's really important that they learn the terminology that they're going to encounter. Like each yeah. field has a lexicon and I need yeah. to know what the appropriate terms are so that I can communicate with people in my field. Like, yeah, that's just the way it is. I don't think that it has to be done in a punitive way. And I was just mm -hmm. working 
with first year students on APA formatting for, um, yeah, a paper that they had to write. (laughs) And it's like painful for all of us, frankly, because it's like their first paper out of the gate. It's kind of a technical, just a descriptive paper of a disorder of communication, but they have to write it in this way, in this format. And what I found with a lot of the students is that they had done some good research and they tried really hard to understand the disorder and that the tone of the paper was very conversational. So my feedback was like, I think that you understand what you're talking about. And I'm so excited because from what, you know, it seems like you understand the definition and the implications and the characteristics, and that is great. And then the next piece is learning to write that in a different style. So I was really intentional about using the words correct versus incorrect and just Mm -hmm. saying different because you know, starting with an interesting question that you might do in an English paper to like grab the audience's attention is just not really appropriate for this type of writing. Mm. But what I said was, that's a great style. It's just not this style. So we actually don't have to get the audience's attention. It's just kind of straight. It's boring. It's factual, you know, and they're like, oh, okay. You know, so I think in the language that we use to critique and provide feedback, and we love to talk about feedback, There's a way to honor and acknowledge where students are, to celebrate their understanding, and to teach uh, a lexicon or a style or whatever's appropriate for the discipline. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you for that. I I think you said that so nicely. I sometimes go off the deep end with with my frustration with the system, so it's good when when you bring me back to my senses. (laughs) I I agree. Very, very eloquently said, and you, you made note of this topic that we've talked about before yes and mm. and i've recently come across a new book and i'm just starting it um by mark batterson it's called please sorry and thanks mm. and in his book he talks about these three small yet powerful words words that what i'm thinking about these three words in terms of how they relate to belong, belonging he says um these three words are often referred to as magic but nothing opens the doors like please men's fences like sorry and builds bridges like thanks. Mm-hmm. And if we if we think about please, sorry, and thanks, and using those, you know, words are tools. And if we want to use our words as tools to help create belonging, I'm going to be more intentional in thinking about using please, sorry, and thanks. I want to go back for a minute about to the systems of communications. We've been doing a big project at NILD, a big video filming project. Um, about every decade, we refilm all of our teacher training videos. And so that's what we've been working on. And so I've had the great privilege over the last month of working with about six to seven different um, students with learning differences. And one of the big ways that I've hopefully communicated a sense of belonging with them is, is thank you so much for doing this, expressing gratitude, because you are helping Educators learn how to have more effective tools to work with students who just learn differently. Brianne, back to your point about that difference. Difference is not wrong. And to see these students sort of put, sit up, put their shoulders back and kind of look at me and say, you mean what I'm doing right here is going to help others in the mm-hmm. same way that I've been helped? Man, what a cool opportunity. So just inviting them into this community to say what you've experienced personally and those hardships are going to be able to help others in as we communicate and dialogue together through this this educational therapy training. So really thinking about please, sorry, and thanks, and how we can invite our learners into this um, new sense of belonging with using these three words. Hmm. I, now I have yet another book to add to my. I, know. I just wrote it down. <laughs> I need like a summer just to like read so I can get summer caught reading. up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I want to sort of turn the corner here. It's all related. I can't help but but wonder. So I'm taking, you guys will laugh at me, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm taking a class this semester and it's called Self and Identity Development. So it's like steeped in all this psycho- psychology reading, which is so fascinating. And we're reading about self and sort of social interactions this week. And the quote that came up for me, that's related to our podcast is this, I don't know this person, Marcus 2005, M-A-R-K-U-S. I don't know the psychology literature. And the person says, the quote is, you can't be yourself by yourself. Wow. Right? So this idea, it's like, it's sort of really dovetailing what we're talking about here. 
Additionally, what I want to add to that to that piece is um, Kanita, Dr. Kanita Williams has said several times when she when she talks to us about belonging, about this idea of being the work, not just doing the work. And she uses and she's used this in her dissertation. She talks about an equity posture. And I know that's a different conversation. But what I want to ask you is, given everything we've shared and talked about today, what does this mean for facilitators, for parents, for caregivers, for educators, for leaders who want to show up with a posture of belonging? Like, what do we have to be doing individually to do this work? I know, I know just in my experience, it is far easier said than done. Mm. The, the effort that it takes, the intentionality, the, the time, it's not a quick fix. It's not a light lift. Um, it, it can be heart wearying at times because it, it can be painful to wade into some of those exclusionary spaces and, and try to connect and try to understand um, how how the exclusion occurred and and what what contributions I may have have created that um, you know that exclusion um, is present so so it's easier said than done and being mm-hmm. in it is is challenging yeah but also worth it mm. Paula said something before about smiling and how students can recognize, you know, mm-hmm. the sincerity of a smile, which kind of brings me back to our theme of authenticity that we talk about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if we're going to do the work of belonging with students and if we're going to engage them in these sorts of conversations, I just have to think that they get it. They know if we also are doing the work in that we're just bringing like a vulnerability and kind of a rawness to it. I'm not sharing all my belonging stuff with my students. That's not what I'm saying. No, no, no. (laughs) But that that's happening in the background. I think that's evident in the conversations. I mean, when you talk with Carrie or Paula or Kristen, you just know that you all are super sincere, right? And that you're doing the work yourselves as well. And I think that that's part of our obligation in this. It's not just to ask the questions of our students, but to be asking the questions of ourselves also. And I think you know, it's just, it's so reciprocal. Yeah, I, I'm reading a book about um, explicit instruction. Um, and one of the things they mention in there, of course, is this idea of, of, they don't use the word belonging, but creating the atmosphere. And a suggestion they give is, it's called a two by 10 um, routine. And And going back to the quote, you can't be yourself by yourself. Well, belonging isn't a a one man thing, right? You have to have people to belong to or to belong with or to show belonging. So the two by 10 rule was to do something for two minutes, 10 times. And the example they give, and then it becomes habit, right? So talking Mm -hmm. about intentionality, um, you know, this, this educator wanted to connect with a student and um, for two minutes a day, he talked to the student about anything non-school related 10 times and then slowly but surely that started to pay off. That connection was built, but it was the two by 10 role. And so, hmm. you know, for me, I'm thinking, all right, I got to pick one thing to do, right? And maybe do it with all my students, but two by 10 role, pick one thing, be intentional about it, do it every day for 10 days, then pick something else, you know, and and just it, whether it's feedback I use, whether it's greeting them at the door, you know, something new, maybe that I didn't do before, maybe it's starting class with a check-in uh, or leaving with a check-out, Whatever it is, two t- two minutes a day for ten days, and and that connection sort of starts to build and, yeah. and pay off. Yeah, I, I love that. I just wrote that down: two minutes, ten times, or two. Yeah, I like that. I guess I just I really struggle with, and I think this was true as you know, someone who does workshops every once in a while, because like I have and I'm sure you do this too like I surround myself as the to the best of my ability with other adults who who feel similarly who are willing to show up authentically but we have lots of people in our world you know that I want to go up to them and when they are upset about something I want to go up to them and ask them a question and say what are you afraid of <laughs> right mm-hmm. like what's the discomfort for you and so it just makes me wonder like 
What's the work that we need to be doing as human beings? Because I'll be really, so I'll be really vulnerable for a second. That quote, you can't be yourself by yourself. Like it feels similar to how I felt about the Maya Angelou quote of, with belonging everywhere and nowhere, belonging to yourself, because I feel like you can't be yourself by yourself feels razor's edge to me. It feels like there's opportunity because if you're in a beautiful space with amazing people, everything is possible. And if you're in a not so great space with not so great people, that can have detrimental effects on you. So it feels razor's edge to me. And to me, that quote just makes me want to double down on how important this work is. We cannot ignore it because <laughs> it, I mean, it matters so much. That same article that I was reading, and I know you three of you will know this, talks about how the early ages, the early stages of life are when we are the most malleable. So like our early caregivers and the adults in our lives are just so important for the impressions we have of ourselves. Right. So anyway, I don't want to get on a soapbox about that, but that's where my brain has been is like, it's like so exciting and so scary all the same time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, as, as yeah, as humans who are around young people, right. We all are um, in different capacities. So it's, it's just a reminder of our contributions, you know, whether we like it or not. <laughs> so anyway, sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent. So where does this leave us ladies? What are the, what are the big takeaways from our conversation? Any thoughts, anything grabbing you at this moment? I think the the opportunity and challenge that we will never have arrived at belonging, that mm. it's always this dynamic pursuit of um, being present in that opportunity and that challenge within the different spaces that we occupy. Yeah, that's good, Kristen. I like that. Yeah, and it, and it is really, well, it's easier to concentrate on one space, but but really the challenge is to be in all spaces at once, you know, so mm -hmm. belonging, sure. Sorry about that. Um, with my students, I might be able to like get a grasp on and get a hold on, but then with my department and others that don't share this vision um, or in other spaces outside of school, you know, so yeah, that, that extension of multiple layers of belonging in multiple contexts is kind of scary. Yeah. Well, it's what you said about the explicit instruction too, Paula, right? I think that links what you're saying and what Kristen has been say saying. It's just, it's continual, right? It's intentional. It's being present. It's attending to, um, it's, it's an action. It's not just a thing that happens. It's an action, right? So, yeah. And I go back to Kanita's word of posture. I mean, yeah. that's such a good word. Um, I mean, I love the idea of a posture because there is always a posture. Um, yeah. It's also hard to, to keep a good posture. Uh, <laughs> we were all sort of straightening. I, know, right? like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have so many <laughs> memories of like people pulling my shoulders back as a kid, like stand up straight. So yeah. there's that. But, you know, it, it reflects how you present yourself in the world. Like when you have a strong posture, I think if you're feeling good and you're feeling connected to yourself and the people around you, it's a lot easier to stand up straight. Yeah. I, don't know. I I appreciate her language a lot. It makes me think about the literal, but really more the figurative ways of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I love that too. Cause I, I immediately thought of like the embodiment of belonging, right. goes back mm -hmm. to that authenticity that you were talking about. So um, yeah. Well, Paula, you know where we're going next. It is for folks who have not listened to the four learning educators. We have this wonderful tradition where Paula takes it home and offers um, her brilliant final words. So Paula, what do you got oh, for yeah. us? So not so sure about the brilliant part, but <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best here. Um, so what I was, well, while I was listening to our discussion, it brought me to a place where, um, you know, I'm thinking that this is a lot about engagement. We talked about intentionality, showing up, leaning in, authenticity, um, and really doing the work and, and making it important, making it a highlight. And 
for an educator, I found that, or actually I'm reading a book about why students don't like school. And one of the things is, you know, it's hard, right? It's hard. It's not something that they would be motivated normally to do um, on their own. Um, but it said, if the conditions are right, they will engage if the conditions are right. And it sounds like what we've been talking about today is making sure that those conditions are right um, for that engagement. Um, and just a little vignette that made me kind of think about it. as I was thinking about this podcast, when I was very young, I'm very non-athletic and I played on a softball team. And at the time, you're going to laugh. Other adults laugh. It's okay if you want to laugh. Um, but I received a trophy at the end of the year. And it was a, actually a ceramic trophy of a little boy at bat, like, you know, hat on backward little toddler. And it was the I want to play award. And I'm thinking about that. And when I tell people about it now, they all laugh and they're like, oh, my God, that was like a hokey award. They just gave it to you, you know, whatever the case might be. But at the time, I thought I got the MVP award, mm -hmm. right? At the time, the coach created on that team, a sense of belonging so strong. And maybe that's where the invisibility comes in that I didn't even know that it was a pokey award. I took it as I was the best player on the team, right? That I want to play, but never got to because I wasn't good. Um, but I never <laughs> knew that, right? At the time. Now I know that looking back, but at the time I didn't know it. And so I think it's about all of the kids here, you know, just, just giving them that sense that you are the MVP, you are the most important person in the room. Speechless. I know, I just was like, no one can see, but I'm like, mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanna say thank you to all three of you for being here today. And I hope, audience, I hope the audience uh, enjoyed our conversation. So thanks everybody. This has been another episode of Tell Me This and please take care. Your last year Someday searching for melodies Pulling around in mountain streams Galaxies we Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.